0: You are listening to Subtle Disruptors Melbourne. This is the first series of the podcast, Subtle Disruptors, telling the stories of those who are quietly having an amazing, positive impact on their city and the world.
1: So my thrashing was, I have to go out and build my own product to start to really see who would I be without the thought. I'm not good enough.
0: What seems to me to be more apparent and prevalent is communities and individuals who want to be honest, to be authentic, to be prepared to be vulnerable and make deep connections and meaningful contributions. Emily Polo made a life-changing decision in her final year of school that led her down the path of confronting her doubts about her own worth, helping over 300,000 young people understand their worth, and now starting again with a new social enterprise called Collective Potential. I am Adam Murray, and I hope you enjoy Emily's openness and honesty as much as I did during our conversation about the subtle disruption of being and loving yourself. If we start off by talking about this house, like actually yeah, where we are, this and what beauty, this house is, yeah.
1: You know, um, I have a very blessed life because there are a lot of things that we don't have in our social enterprise but a roof over our head is what we needed for it to all come together, this team, the idea. We needed a central place and I just love it. It's been donated to us. Um, My mentor was Jim Steins, who was a beautiful soul of an Irishman um, who came over when he was 19 with a dream that he wanted to be an AFL football player. I think he was one of the first ever to be brought to Australia from Ireland as a Gaelic footballer and um, yeah, Ron Barassi saw something in him and really as the 20 years later he became a social entrepreneur. So he took his football and his belief in young people to a whole new level and created the Reach Foundation. And as Jim grew he wanted to give back a lot of the belief that people had probably had in him. And so he, I found Jim at my school and he was doing empowerment workshops and I loved it. It really changed the direction, the trajectory of my life.
0: As a student, you're As a
1: student, a student yeah, yeah, 17. And um, as the story goes, Jim unfortunately passed away four years ago and I went to his widow and said, you know, Jim looked after me and supported me and believed in me and saw my potential much like Iron Barassi did for him. Yeah. Um, I'd really like to continue on his legacy. Could I have permission to do that? And she was just astounded. I well, that's what I believe. It felt like it was. And, and when I was telling her where we wanted to go with it and the workshops we wanted to run with collective potential, um, the lives that we wanted to impact and the social change that we wanted to have on not just an individual level, but on a community level and a global level, um, and she said, I love it why don't you have the house next door? And um, you can work out of it, live out of it while you get your bearings and learn what you need to do to get this idea off the ground. The next thing you know, we moved in and we're only supposed to be here for three months and we've been here for 12. Yeah. So it's my home, but it's more than that. It's a, a birthplace for ideas. Um, it's a community house where so many people who are, wanting to do self-development work, or a new paradigm of working with human beings. They need somewhere to congregate, and they need somewhere to get their idea together. So yeah. this house is a hub for social entrepreneurs. It's um, a space for people's ideas to be born, really. So I love living in it, Yeah. I love working from it, and as I said, every day I wake up feel so blessed, Yeah. even in the chaos of trying to pull our idea together, it only grounds me and reminds me of where I'm at. Yeah. Yeah, it's nice, isn't it?
0: It's amazing. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's a beautiful old house mm. in its own right. Mm. And then the stuff that I'm sure we'll talk about actually goes mm. on in this place mm. is amazing as well.
1: Yeah, it is. I mean, it's gorgeous. It's old, it's beautiful, it's um, historic, what do they call it? Um, Heritage, Heritage listed. Heritage listed. Obviously. That's it. Yeah. So it kind of feels like where we're at. We're part of a big history Yeah. Um, and redesigning and innovating things. Yeah. So there's a mix match of furniture and no furniture in this house, bare bones.
0: Yeah. It's exactly
1: <laughs> where I'm at.
0: It's great to be here. I think you're not here for too much longer though, is that right?
1: Yeah, no, the house is being renovated. Yeah. But they've said to us, Oh, we want you to come back. No, we love having you next door. Awesome. So once it's renovated, um, we're back in. Yeah. Which is awesome. Yeah. But even in the interim, we have got given an incubator space. So we've got an office space yeah. at a new cool social enterprise called um, Recreate. It's a co-working space up on Chapel Street in Paran. And they want us to come in and they'll teach us how we can make our pro projects sustainable. Yeah. It's exactly what we need. So, again. I'm a blessed beacon.
0: Yeah. Things just come to us. Yeah. Could mm. you go back a little bit just to Jim Stein's mm-hmm. and your first interaction with him? Mm-hmm. Jim Stein's obviously an amazing football career. Mm-hmm. Won the Brownlow Medal.
1: You did. 244 consecutive games. Still holds the record, in case you're wondering.
0: I was. <laughs> <laughs> and then started The Reach. It's called The Reach Foundation. Reach Nation, yeah. yeah. And... What happened when he came to your school?
1: Mm. You know, it might be interesting to point out where I was when he came to my school. I was uh, just your average suburbs kid. How long is where I grew up? And it was um, uh, a pretty rough area and still is to this day. Um, but our school had, you know, 44 different nationalities and being half Aussie, Bogan, <laughs> and half Polynesian princess, <laughs> I like to call myself. Um, we stood out, and uh, Jim walked into my school, and I didn't even want to know anything about football, which is what I thought we were doing. Yeah. And in the end, at the time, my dad had passed away. My mum had cancer, and I just couldn't even cope with where we were at. You know, I was even having memories of sexual abuse, and you know, you, you just don't even talk about that normally. You know, these conversations are left to the wayside, grieving or sexual abuse, and what was I supposed to do at that stage with all of this as a 17-year-old, other than get wasted? So Jim walked in and really asked us a question of how do you want to be remembered, and all I was doing was taking acid, uh, ecstasy, drinking bottles of bourbon, just to deal with all of this stuff that was coming up. And so when he walked in and asked a group of year 12 students how we want to be remembered and had the entire year level connecting about how people treat them, what judgments hold them back, really starting to deconstruct their mindsets as 17-year-olds, I'd never done anything like it and my 17-year-old self was blown away. And really the question that I answered of how do you want to be remembered was I just want to make my mum proud for the last months of her life. So where I was at compared to <clears throat> when I walked into that room versus after two hours of walking out of it was a very, very different 17-year-old. Wow! And I thank whoever put that, put us on this earth, right, or the chance of it all that um, Jim happened to stumble upon my year level and yeah. it changed the trajectory of my life. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Wow. Mm. Did you, so talk a little bit about that trajectory, did you keep in contact with Jim after that or was Yeah, it a-
1: Jim had lots of pros so the Reach Foundation had just started to, it was only probably in its third year at the time and they were just two guys with an idea that young people needed an outlet that behind their, that everyone was, um, had hurt and unhappiness and that they just needed people to believe in their potential um, and their strengths. and. At this point, they'd started running programs, and because I was in Hallam, which was close to Dandenong, you had a six-week program that you could go along that was run by youth-led. So young people had this ability to sh- sit and share where they're at, but also do activities or um, you know, um, sessions on where they wanted to be versus where they are now.
2: Yeah.
1: So not that a 17-year-old understood this that I, with the knowledge that I have now, but... They were doing psychodrama with us and they were teaching us about positive psychology and narrative therapy. These are the things that I study now to keep people's um, change happening. But as a 17-year-old, it was the best thing that I'd ever encountered because I started to really realise that um, my thoughts were creating my reality, that I didn't think I was good enough from all of these experiences that I had. So i just drink it away to avoid it. And that's just what we did in our area. So most people just drink it away just to avoid it, right? It's just what we do on weekends, even as adults. But as a 17 year old, I found a group for a positive community who were still pretty cool, they were edgy. You know, it wasn't a youth church group, I didn't want anything to do with that at all. Um, But they were just real about who they were and where they were going. And so I really engaged with that environment of, of. Good souls who were just being authentic. Um, and so I just saw change over about a year. Jim said he loves what I do, really thought I had potential. And so, within actually, sorry, within the first month, I was in their leadership group. Mm-hmm. They hadn't done it before. Wow. Because if anybody starts an idea, you've got to scale it up, right? So, again, as an adult, I didn't realise they were looking at how do we pass this on? How do we give back to the kids that are loving the programs? So well, why don't we put them in the position? to do it for other kids. So now I had purpose. And so drinking and partying didn't have as much purpose than REACH did, right? Yeah. Very clever, very clever model. Even today I go, huh, no wonder I love doing what I do, you know, I'm just replicating the model with Collective Potential, um, our social enterprise, but it's, yeah, it was definitely really simply a community of people that supported us to be authentic and open and honest. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Does that explain it all for you?
0: Yeah, it does. Yep. It does and it doesn't. Like, yep. uh,
1: mm. What am I missing?
0: No, I mean, just, I'm sure uh, the implications for that, for you and that group of people were profound over a period of time. And profound. Yeah. They've
1: worked with over half a million young people over the 21 years that they've been running. Yeah. And I would have worked with over 300,000 of them. Wow. Running workshops, events, camps. Yeah. And the impact of profound is you've got some of Australia's best are connected to the REACH Foundation. Yeah. Because we, was, we were trained to believe that we could achieve. We were taught mindfulness, we were mm-hmm. taught um, hypnosis, NLP, we were trained to then pass the work on by learning psychodynamic work or psychology just without the pe- piece of paper. Yep. And then we got to do it over 10,000 times. I've done it. At the age of 35, I've run over 10,000 workshops. Yeah. So even a psychologist doesn't get to come out and get to practice it. So the profound implications of two men believing that we could be authentic and connected and have a community to support you yeah. is that they then created a ripple effect. So I carry this on through our programs, right? Yep and the workshops that I do now and the coaching that I do now. But the other people that were trained and there's been probably 2,000 of us over the years, they're mothers. So can you imagine how they teach teach their kids these mindfulness, these value-based principles? Can you imagine that some of them are the head of Austerio Network, some of the biggest TV producers in the country? Um, business people running their own companies, and they take these values based principles into everything that they 've done
2: yeah
1: so it's very it very much is the preventative model. Yeah. Work with young people and see the impact as they get older. you can 't measure it unless we talk about the stories like today. like that is profound. yeah, the impact you can have can never truly be measured, but if you're watching and learning from the people around you, it does make a difference to teach people these values and these principles.
0: Yeah, it does. Yeah, Something that really interests me about that is that Jim Steins was a footballer and this has come out of a football community. Not something I would have immediately uh, presumed. Good pick up. Where people
1: tend to... Uh, his name's Paul Curry. He doesn't get enough credit and we can tell from this conversation. Paul and Jim created reach. Mm. Now, Paul was the psychodynamic the psychodrama teacher, acting teacher and director. So you he, they met each other and at the time, Jim had done his sports management and his career and his football in training, but he was also a teacher, so he studied education. So when you combine education, sports um, education or physical education in with drama and learning about being authentic as an actor. Yeah you've got a beautiful recipe don't you yeah and so year after year we're in there training on our authenticity as actors almost but that's what actors are being trained in how to be in the emotion how to go into yourself and uncover your shadow so that you can use that in your life so you're really doing the most amazing um, personal development work through these principles when you are combining that also with activities and looking at sports it was just the most beautiful combination yeah yeah reach was very much new in its day because no one was going into schools running this work on speaking the truth and being open and honest and I'm sure Jim's influence were people like Tony Robbins you know you watched him you know Jim would always do Tony Robbins kind of things and we're like oh here he goes again (laughs) he was so geeky he's too rah 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 but you know that was the that was the process they really went through was You know, you've got outdoor education and then you've got welfare and REACH fitted in between because you were really being looked after, but you're also being asked to be active about it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And the REACH Foundation is still ongoing to this day. still to this day. Is it Australia wide or focused on Victoria? Australia wide. Yeah.
1: Uh, it started off in Victoria, and we we're very Victorian based. But then they started flying us all around the country. We got sponsorship from some of the biggest um, companies to really go out and do this work in schools. So again, we'll just the workshop that Jim walked into. I would go out and do it. Let alone two thousand of us. So um, it's a lot smaller these days because you know after losing Jim, I'm sure Reach went on a bit of a dip. Mm. Um, but again, it's. At a space now where it's starting to flourish into what it needs to be. So where it ends up, we'll never know. But yeah. it's doing beautiful work. Okay. Very much so.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: And you've been obviously involved through all that period, or have you been in and out of it?
1: Um, I was seven. Si- I, how do I? 16 years all up. I was the longest-standing Reach Kid crew member who wanted to hang in there and never leave. Yeah. Um, but in the last three years, I realized that um, reach didn't have capacity for me anymore. I wasn't a young person, so even though I was training, I was getting frustrated. Right. I wanted to do this and that and that, and that's not what the organization wanted to do. So we, don't you think, once you start to get frustrated at a place, you know that you're outgrowing it. It's time yeah, for sure. you to go on and do what you need to do, so I'm three years ago, I just decided to knuckle down. I left Melbourne, went for a travel around the world. and. Um, Left Reach behind me and said, "I want to set up my own stuff." So I spent probably a year or two doing coaching. Hmm. You know, every like every coach, it's hard. Not, it's 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 a hard knock life trying to get clients in and learning your content and your methods. But it's just a refining stage. And so, in my blissed out time of being away in Byron, I really got to f- solidify who I was and what I wanted to be as a small business. Yeah. And so since then I launched what's called Collective Potential. Yeah. Which is an organization, a social enterprise that's about a tribe of people living authentic and purpose filled lives.
0: Yeah. I wanna talk about mm. that, but I think there's probably in that period of time that you were just talking about, it's often the time that is skipped over a bit in a lot of people's stories. And I imagine there's probably a little bit there which was
2: mm.
0: what some people call the thrash or a little bit of uncertainty or oh, Yeah, yeah. What happened for you during that period?
1: What didn't happen? And it's still happening, the thrash.
2: Yeah.
1: I think I've just gotten so much better at um, understanding its value in my life. Um, uh, when Jim died, again, he was a, it was a really uh, integral part of my life. He was like a dad. So, you know, you have influences. The thrash was um, I didn't believe in myself. I didn't think I was good enough. And, and uh, so much so that when Jim was, um, when Jim was sick, I didn't hang around him, and people were saying, "Why aren't we seeing you? Why aren't you coming over to see Jim?" And because my parents had died, it was just too raw. Right. And then, but undercurrent, what I noticed only until after he passed away was that I was like, still saying this line: "Oh I, it was for Jim's family. like it's not time for me to be around him, and you know, that's, that's for people that mean something to him." Are you serious, Emily? Like, don't you think, Adam? Like, yeah. the man helped me become who I am today. He helped, He gave me full charge of a, a $4 million organization every year, and I didn't think I should be around him. Like, how long do you need to ca- carry this belief about yourself? Yeah. So my thrash time was literally like a fish out of water. Of I left the organization that was my comfort zone, and went out on my own. No matter what, you're thrushing around. Totally. I'm trying to breathe who I want to be, which is this person that believes in herself, yeah. but I didn't. Yeah. So how the how do you get rid of a belief of you're not good enough, that you've carried your whole life and only used an organization to prove it to yourself? Every time I achieve something and reach, me going, huh, see, I am good enough. <laughs> yeah. So which is a little bit weird. People are like, what are you talking about? That's so many wonderful things for you to accomplish through an organization, but ultimately on the inside, my thrash was as I truly knew deep down that I didn't believe in myself and I was using reach to believe in myself. Yeah. So my thrashing was I have to go out and build my own product to start to really see if is, who would I be without the thought, I don't, I'm not good enough yeah. and I found that I was. And I still thrash about that some days.
0: Sure. <laughs>
1: but that was a hard time. Like, that would have been me just out on my own, trying to fend for myself, get, get business together, like, trying to prove to people. Like, coaching is, or that self exploration is very hard to convince a mainstream audience of its value. Don't you think?
0: I do, particularly in Australia.
1: Particularly in Australia. Americans are all about this and session, like, you can do it. You know, that's how Australians even see the work. It's Like, I even had somebody message me recently and said, oh, look, all those people who do that work, they're losers. They don't know where they're going to go. By the time we finished the conversation, I got him to say, maybe he would be up (laughs) for it, which I'm pretty proud of myself. (laughs) But that's that vulnerable place that people feel like they shouldn't be going into but i feel like the biggest thing that i learned in my thrashing time was that my cave that i fear to enter holds the treasure i seek yeah do you know what i mean by that i do yeah you
0: know maybe not everybody does though so yeah talk a little bit about that. well
1: the thing that you're scared of what i've discovered more and more so is it's got gold for you to learn from because if you're scared of it this this thing that you want to do or this place within you that you can't really go to with, when you're having a conversation with somebody now this is years of practicing this so I don't expect everyone to be able to jump into it yeah. but generally if, if your bodily felt sensation is retracting back in fear the neuroscience b- behind there I could talk all day about it but generally if you're retracting then there's something gold in there yeah. so you can program what is that? What is my mindset? What do I want to? What do I want to know about that darkness in there? Because it's obviously going to show me some light yeah. if I go in it. Yeah. So it's like you th- you're flashing a light on it. Oh, I'm not good enough. Where did I, that come from? Oh, I don't want to go in there. <laughs>
2: yeah,
1: you know, like you've had some traumatic experiences, Emily Polo. You know, yeah, talking to myself. But why would you want to go in there? And so I went to psychologists. I went to my own coaches. I did seven day retreats. You know, I was on a journey to understand that my my not good enough came from memories and the abuse or losing my father or whatever the lo- the list went on. But the more I could accept that it's not true, that I just had a perspective on a situation, that it wasn't my fault, that in actual fact, I'm alive, yeah, that was where I found that the cave I was scared to go into had this treasure of, oh, great, I created that in that moment, so now I can create the rest of my life. So, it might sound cheesy to some, but it's the most empowering space that you can get into when you can truly own your circumstances and not be a victim to them, but let them lead you. Does that make sense?
0: Total sense. Yeah. yeah, it does. I mean, certainly not an easy thing. Something can make sense like that, but uh, that's that is a very scary thing to do and a very hard thing to do.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, I mean, just a recent example. It's. I mean, it's a kind of a trivial example in a way but It was one of your events, one of your raw events, which was on Love and Sex. And I remember just reading about it and having this, like, man, I'm scared of that. I don't want to go there. Yeah, good on you. But then thinking, actually, it's because of that feeling that I want to go (laughs) as well. I don't know what is going to happen there. And that was probably the first. I've been to a couple of events that you've put on, but that was one of the first ones. And, yeah, it was excellent. It was good to go there and learn a lot about myself. But... Yeah, you can come across those moments in in small ways and in big ways. What you're talking about as well.
1: Yeah, yeah, I love that. And I mean, it take in the fear though. Like when you go, when you say to yourself, "I don't want to go to that," there is an element that's maybe a little unconscious to most people. Is what got you to go? It's just bravery, right? Yeah. That even in the fear, you still have bravery and courage to turn up to a workshop. Now that is awesome. Like, no one goes to a workshop, you know? Like, there's freakiest people at these things. <laughs> yeah, it's like, true. no, they're the most mainstream best friends you could hang out. Or at least that's what we're trying to pull all together, the people who love this stuff, who aren't afraid to talk about it. Or maybe are afraid, but they're turning up anyway. And like, I like that fear still has... You still have the ability to have courage and bravery when yeah. you do it. Yeah.
0: You know? Yeah. It is good. And I guess it's probably the way to start practising it Used to do it in small ways and realize that you do have it yeah. and that it gives you a little bit of memory and a little bit of courage to do it in a bigger way and a bigger way and a bigger way.
1: Without a doubt yeah. and you know that's why I like podcasts. That's why I think you doing these interviews are awesome because you just need to be surrounding yourself by wonderful conversations like this or little things that people do, the intricacies because you can go to every course under the sun, right? Mm. And I know, I could t- I've could i been to, I can't even tell you, I, I should make a list one day, hundreds. <laughs> but because I was also trained in that space. Yeah. But um, the interesting thing is, no matter, like some of my mentors are the most unbelievably um, renowned um, speakers, uh, you know, they get paid 15K for an hour to talk about their strengths, <laughs> you know. Or, you know, they're out doing... Um, the most unbel- leading the most unbelievable organisations with passion and culture in their heart versus just the profit. They're looking at the people. So they've got these skills, but they end up sharing things with me like, um, and uh, this is really clear, it's been happening more and more in my life lately, that you can go to all these programs and you can go and do all these sort of things, um, but that's why you go to them, because it's not one, it's one shop. You know, you can't just one-stop shop, uh, not one shoe fits all kind of thing. Yeah, you, you have to see what works for you and try those bits or those little things like you mentioned before on to size. And then you go out and do what works for you. Yeah, Please. It's like a beg people, don't go and do that person's workshop and then make sure that you apply every single thing. Take bits of it and see what works for you with the bank of 30 years that you've got going on behind you and mix them together. It should be a fusion drawing upon these things. Yeah, You know, it should be um, a blend of their work and your work. You don't go to these to change your life and that's the method or technique you're going to follow. You go so we can have these conversations, go, I applied it to this little bit in my life and it really worked. Oh yeah, that's going to work for me. So then you do it again, you do it again and so it's progression, right? Yeah.
0: Yeah, it is. I really like the idea of uh, being a scientist with your own life and having, you know, okay. a sample size of one. Yeah, cool. You know? So yeah, you, you listen to people, you apply it to your own life and you see what bits work, you observe, and then if bits don't work, well, that's okay.
1: Oh, I love you can,
0: this. You can move it to one side and then keep the bits that do.
1: Have you yeah. done, is science a passion of yours?
0: Um, not. it was actually in high school and I studied IT, in, uh, in university, but I do, yeah, I do like it, yeah. actually. Yeah, I do like, I guess the past year I've been doing quite a bit of experimentation on myself in a way too, and trying to apply things consistently so that I get good data about yeah. that thing that I'm applying and I can see if it does work. And I've been doing it with things like sleep yeah. and um, nutrition and you know, meditation yeah. as well, yeah. Awesome, love that. Yeah,
1: because it is important. I like the mix between science and the mushy stuff. You know, yeah. like that's what I get from a lot of people—too uh, airy fairy. But I think it is important. Like even in the work we do, we we mesh neuroscience together with positive psychology and evidence evidence based practices.
2: Yeah.
1: So that people can also try that. If you're going to change the way your brain works, then we have to practice it. So there is lots of neuroscience was the science behind it. So I love hearing that. Was it test your life science test? Is it? Yeah,
0: like be your own uh, be a scientist with your own life and yeah. consider your sample size of one.
1: Oh, know. that's cool. I yeah. like that a lot. Might have used that on the clients coming in next.
0: <laughs> Feel free. <laughs> I, I made it
1: up, of course.
2: Yeah, yeah, of course. No, no, no.
0: Directly to Adam Murray. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah, but that's, isn't that cool? That's why, you know, you're constantly learning from people. I'm a geek. I'm such a learning growth geek. I'm the most enthusiastic person you'll meet half the time. You know, we'll be sitting at a table out with friends and they'll say to me, "Um, where are you at? And I'll just roll off where I'm at. And that includes, like you said, the thrashing about, the the shadow, uh, as well as the absolute glory. And I just feel like I've gotten more and more, Adam, into it. I never used to. I used to have depression. Yeah. I used to just drink away or pop some pills on a weekend to get myself up and enjoying enthusiastic about life, you know, and that dance floor moments, Like, mm. that was what I lived for. But the progression that I felt from doing this work and having these conversations with people like yourself, they just fulfill me.
2: Yeah.
1: They just enliven me, and uh, I just... Even thinking about that, when I'm sitting with friends at dinner tables, I just want to keep having the conversations. Yeah. There is no difference between me and in a workshop. Yeah. This is all I want to talk about. Yeah. You know?
0: I love that. Yeah. I love, and that's such an awesome idea. Someone was, and it just reminds me of a few things, but one of them is the idea of culture in an organization. And in essence, it always, always seems to boil down to one person. You know, and that one person who's often the founder, mm. you know, and how authentic and aligned they are uh, with their with themselves and aware of themselves, and then that permeates to the next level of the organisation with the people they work with and the, the culture internal culture, and then that then goes to the next layer, which is the culture of the, the the customers and the partners that they interact with as well. Awesome. Yeah,
1: I love that. Again, the ripple, right? Mm. And I use social media and I'm just constantly putting myself out there at the moment because that is an untapped resource. Yeah. You know, We did this thing called hashtag 30 days of real, like to me real means do what you love, do what's real for you, You know, don't be a carbon copy of other people and be aware of yourself when you aren't in your line with your values. So every day I just put up something cause one, I want to get better in front of a camera and speak to a camera is my little action every day, every couple of days to do a film shot, 30 seconds, two minutes yeah. of just where I'm at. Yeah. And I've noticed, I'm walking down the street the other day and seeing people and they're like, Emily, loving your 30 days of real. Now, don't get me wrong, the big fat, fat ego of mine could t- quite quickly turn this into some um, some social media um Amateur philosopher,
2: yeah.
1: but I'm loving just having conversations with people that are real on the street now. Yeah. Yeah, you know, there was that one where you did that that really spoke out to me, and yeah. I really decided that I would do X, Y, and Z. And you're like, great. Yeah. So, authenticity about who I am, and I like what you're saying about it, it starts in, in, the, in the leadership, but it also permeates to places you don't even know. Like, yeah. what are people putting out there, don't you think, on Facebook? Showing photos, the best sides of themselves. Mate, I was filming myself in the shower the other day. Weird. Yeah. <laughs> not naked, but the top half. Yeah. Just because I was like, Hey, this is real. Everyone does this every day. Yeah. Or when I was really struggling, I was like, I'm just not believing in myself today. Yeah. So what do I do? You know, what what am I supposed to do in this moment? And so I give. My...
0: It was in this part of the interview where we were talking about authenticity and being real that I appropriately had a very real moment in my journey as a podcaster. The sound card on my recorder unexpectedly filled up and without me knowing, I missed recording the end of the interview. Thankfully, Emily was gracious enough to give me some time the next week to complete our conversation. You know, collective potential has come from you. Mm-hmm. So what, what has come out of that? Uh, yeah. What is it? Uh, yep. yeah.
1: Yep, I can talk about that i um I'm consistently blown away by what a small group of committed thoughtful people can do to change the world you know you know that margaret mead um yeah. quote Ugh. because i the other day we had two um two days away of doing strategy oh what is the where are we trying to where are we trying to turn up in the world as collective potential what do we want to be achieving you know setting organizational goals let alone individual goals and we'd been such in startup mode that we've we haven't actually set any kind of specific clarity goals clear goals which is hilarious for an organization that has coaching principles all the way through it of course we set things and we knew we wanted to get there but you don't have time in startup to consistently review them well at least my personality doesn't so i found that after being away on these two days the greatest thing that's come out of it is the, is the team. It's the people and it's almost like the ripple effect. Because we are about awakening potential, Adam, like it is this amazing ability that our staff members, our volunteers and our crew members and our facilitators who run the projects are igniting their own potential by being surrounded by other people's potential. Mm-hmm. And seeing other people grow or watching them be challenged and vulnerable, it, it asks people to step up. So you can see a culture that I do in my own life and what I value about being authentic turn up in our team, which then impacts their life. But then the beautiful thing about what I'm watching in our team and why I'm loving it, is the next stage is it's the ripple effect. So now they go out without me having to do anything and they create their own projects and they create their own change within their own collectives. So two of our facilitators started a men's collective, just these two sessions, which I know you've attended, and now they're wanting to do that consistently. um, And they want to impact the way men interact with each other authentically. You know, that's ignition, that's a flame being ignited that wasn't there unless we'd had this space, which is so me. And then I think about um, what also goes on is there's a women's group that's being created. So there's... What am I trying to say here? It's synergy. It's um, by the power of osmosis, by the law of attraction, you know, um, the one-to-many principle of you work with one a whole group and then you know that eventually someone's going to do wonderful work from that. Yeah. Um, I don't know if that's exactly the power of one to many um, definition, but <laughs> <laughs> I felt good at the time saying it. But, you know, there's, um. yeah, it's the ripple effect. It's the collective potential and everything that we'd hoped we would have wanted um, is starting to occur. And then I get messages from the people who are in our workshops who say, I went home and I quit my job <laughs> and I'm so glad I did. I knew, I knew I wasn't meant to be there but I just needed permission. Yeah. And then she, then they tell me about how happy they've been with their family. And you think about the ripple effect and nev- I'll never be able to measure that. No. I can't measure that. I can't measure the impact of what people are going at home and doing. Like next year we have this goal to work with 2,000 people. Keep it really simple. 2,000 in our first year, second year. Just keep it simple. And then we'll scale up and fast. And knowing our work, we'll scale up fast anyway. But just keep it really simple. 2,000, 29 programs, 15 facilitators. Let's keep that as our goal. Everyone walks away feeling proud of what the achievement they've made in the world. But from this specific goal, this 2,000, then we ask each one of them to go and work with another 2,000 people, like one each. That's two million people we've impacted. Wow. Oh. Now there's a goal. Yeah. Because we ask them, be authentic with someone. Ask that other person from what you've learnt from our programs to then go and pay it forward. Yeah. Which is our m- business model too. Yeah. So that's what I think is the, some of the greatest strengths of my values as a leader embedded in our culture and I'm loving the cultural thing, um, people who love coming to work. And I'm loving the impact of people by the power of osmosis. They go out and just create their own, you know. They do their own thing. And I don't have anything to do with that, but I'm proud to say that we were a part of it. Yeah. How's that feel? Is that good enough? That's
0: amazing. Yeah. yeah. And I guess what, you're, what I get from that is the actual things that collective potential does could change over time Mm. like at the moment i think there's coaching that goes on there's events there's intensive retreats Mm. that happen Mm -hmm. but that that will evolve and change depending on you know what our
1: audience needs what they want um and what our people do because right now a lot of people think that collective potential is me but i guess it is as the leader and the founder or one of the founders but it works by magic when those who are running the programs and have been selected to be the facilitators, and normally these people are just called employees, hmm. but it's actually the business is built on what the employees, what the facilitators want it to be. Yeah. So I'll go and find the money to leverage our um, networks, and then they are um, our audience and they can come up with a specific, I can't run men's groups, can I? <laughs> you know, like that's my point. Yeah. What do you guys want to do? Cool. Well, let's leverage the organization and the brand and how a collective should be working, you know. Great businesses work on awesome trade and beautiful partnerships. So there's no difference between human psyche and human spirit yeah. and being able to trade. Well, I'll help you do that and here's the audience that you work with the men, I'll go over here and work with the mainstream. So there's just something in using the old models to help also focus on creating change in human development, right?
0: Yeah. Mm. It's, yeah. Not,
1: it's not new, but we're just trying to put a new spin on it. Yeah, mm.
0: I like it. And it's um, it's an extra layer on it in a way too, which is putting experience and purpose and meaning around yeah. some of those old models.
1: It has to be built it has to go in the direction that the people within the organization want it to go yeah and i should be obsolete right in five years
0: yeah yeah i've got two other questions for you as we start to wrap up yep the first is about looking i guess maybe in your you know when you think about the future and when you Think about things that, gosh, I'd love to be disrupting that in the future. I'd love to be involved in that. You know, after Ooh, good one. when you are when you are obsolete in five years' time from this organisation. Oh God, what's we,
1: a, <laughs> I'm going to go into a rant? Are you sure you're ready for this? I'm ready. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I'm all about a soapbox if someone wants to listen to me. <laughs> but I'm probably more passionate about. Um, A topic that is just consistently comes up and puts me on a soapbox because it enrages me but I've learned over the last six months of why I've been so angry about something it's because it's part of my passionate direction of where I want to affect change and have an impact and leave a legacy or disrupt Mm. and nothing frustrates me more than the than antidepressants I know, slightly strange, but it's not because they sim- they're a symbol to the work that I do. Mm. I really understand that in the world out there, that there is one in four people have anxiety and depression. And it's a horrible epidemic. It's sad.
2: Yeah.
1: It's very stressful for so many people because, well really, it makes them feel not good enough. And they hide it away. And it's almost to me what's going on in the fabric of society that it's been labelled depression and anxiety. But they're human beings trying to understand who they are in the world, but they're full of potential. So antidepressants to me are a a symptom of what goes on in society, that our governments um, box us, control us, that the capitalist society that we live in is saying, work harder, bring in the cash, and it creates this materialism and this epidemic of I need versus what do I want and what Mm. do I value and what is my purpose and how much do I love. And we're missing this ability to just checkpoint ourselves or have spaces where you can connect and be reminded, much like what I believe we do at Collective Potential, is an age-old system of sitting around with a tribe and listening to each other's messages. It's missing. So to me, The thing that I would like to disrupt is this mental health system that Australia has. That when our government claims that there are one in four people who have mental health disorders, one, how many of them just need some resources, such as self-development programs that probably never been around, or these alternative medicines that aren't so alternative that in actual fact they have huge impact on people's lives, kinesiology, Reiki. Uh, meditation, like the list goes on, you can already see the wave,
0: yeah. but
1: for a mainstream group that have never even t- attempted to go into the hippie world, I would like to be the Jamie Oliver of food, how he got people to start to look at food in a different way,
2: mm-hmm.
1: how Oprah got people to start to look at pe- at these self-development gurus in a very different way. I'd like to be part of the wave of people that changed the way people interacted with self-development Yeah. and pers- personal development. That it wasn't an add-on, luxury, that it cost you $200 to go and see a life coach. It was just part of our school system. Mental health, education, that's what it is about to me. And I particularly get enraged about anti-depressions. Why isn't there a war on it like there is a war on drugs or a war on um, terrorism? We're only adding to the problem. You can't fix a problem by focusing on the problem. We need to step above that. And antidepressants only focus on the problem of a human being so we need to keep taking them we're consistently smashing them down and as a, as a lack of effort we take a pill we'll eat it and that will make me feel better but what is the thing that enrages me most about antidepressants and I'm full inside my soapbox right now in case you haven't <laughs> noticed is that they're not educating people as to the side effects of them you take them for six months, you're addicted. And when you come off them, you are going to go through hell hmm. when you realize that you can do it now. Yeah. And so the cycle continues of, well, why aren't you educating people before you get handed at? Where are the doctors that know that don't get bribed by the pharmaceutical companies? Care, listen. Yeah. Tell them to go to a meditation. Did you know that there's a K, K9 or K10? There's 10 questions you get asked at the GP. Have you had feelings of hopelessness? Have you had feelings of sadness? What person doesn't have that every week?
0: It's more than one in four, I'll tell you that.
1: Yeah. And tell me, right, that this K10 can't have questions like, do you have support around you? Have you tried meditation for six weeks? Come back to me and then yeah. I'll put you on medi- medica- medication. Here's the benefit. Actually, so I'm not taking up so much of my time, why don't you watch these videos?
0: Yeah.
1: There's a great organisation called Collective Potential.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. You get me? You <laughs> know, do, like yeah. Why
1: isn't it embedded into our systems? So that's how I want to disrupt. I'm going to sm- go into yeah. the process and the system and I'm going to smash it apart with a whole <laughs> clan of people. who are already doing it and we've come so far but you know those pharmaceutical companies i will be the first to say i want you gone from our society you are not the only only um, method of change you are a medical system that makes up consistently symptoms to match what is needed in your capitalist income revenue streams however there are certain people who need, who desperately need this help and so that medication helps them but don't not educate them of the impact and the process and mm. the exit strategy. Mm. That's what I want to ask for.
2: Yeah.
1: And then why not promote all of the wonderful programs that are out there that go with your medication? You yeah. know what I mean? I do. Don't fight them. Work with them. And at the same time. I will happily take a placard down those, the main streets of Melbourne and say, hell no, no more depress- antidepressants. Yeah. But I would also never want to offend anybody who's had struggle with this most of their life. But I would like to encourage them to come this way with me and I'll show them a plethora of remarkable programs and courses and neuroscience to prove that it's not just antidepressants the social knowledge, your creed, your background, the way the government puts you in a box that contributes to your de- depression. Mm. And through that, you have empowered choice, right?
0: That probably pre- leads really nicely into my last question, mm. which is about, you know, people that might be feeling a little bit stuck, I might want to embark on a, I'm starting on this journey of being a subtle disruptor. What is a small step that people can start to take uh, you know, in their everyday life that can start to lead them on this journey?
1: You know what I'd like to do? I'd like to make self-love the coolest thing you could ever imagine. Like I could tell everybody else what I think they should do but maybe I'll just tell you what I do yeah. and it comes down to well, I was 40 kilos heavier, I had a drug and alcohol problem. Not that most people would consider it a drug and alcohol problem because everyone was just doing the same pace I was. I um, was lost and I could have had my own undiagnosed depression and anxiety and when I started to discover this thing called self-love I started to become more curious about life and I started to understand that I get to create myself and I get to choose who I want to be and the actions I take that are aligned and in In integrity with the way I would like to live that was so empowering so I actually just encourage people to go on the journey of self-discovery that it's not hippie you know that it's not weak you're not a loser but it only makes you more of a man more of a woman if you can cry every once in a while and it only makes you more connected to an individual when you're exploring yourself You know, and then you can take that message about what you've discovered that you're not doing well and now you've progressed and you've moved forward a little bit and you're proud of that like that action that's the antidote to shame and guilt that pride that you see in your progress it's like yes that to me is love that's self love and it's not a feminine cheesy thing it's a thing that everybody needs more of because I can't change the system and the government and the pharmaceutical companies. I can just get people to start to go, I'm okay, I'm enough, I love who I am, I am love. And from that space it's, I'm rad, I'm cool, I- I'm capable, I can make effort, I'm- I've got a growth mindset, I, I know the neurology, I- I've-, I've spoken to people, I've-, I've-, I've done things. So it's a progression that I really just encourage people to see their life as building blocks. And if you want to get somewhere, then it's progression. Be proud of the bits that you have got and the effort. But I ultimately think that it is about self-love and being proud of that, whether you're male or female. Yeah. And that you pass on to your kids. And that you pass on to your family and to your neighborhood, not, did you achieve this? Didn't you achieve this? It's actually just love. Yeah, that makes the world go round, right? That's all we need this is. As, as the stories go. But, yeah, I feel very strongly about that. Um, if I could, I'd brand Collective Potential as a love organisation, but I might lose a few people if we did that. <laughs> <laughs> they would get the wrong idea. Yeah. So for now, it is about purpose and it is about connection. So, yeah. And what a tribe of people doing that, right? So that's my thing. Little acts of love.
0: That's great. How does that feel? Excellent. Thank you so much for being so open in this interview. Yeah. I think that.
1: I wouldn't know how to do it any other way.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's obvious. And (laughs) um, hopefully, you know, the people that get to listen to this can um, start to experience a bit of that, and there can be different ripple effects Mm. through what they do as well.
1: Well, I love what you're doing, and I think it's incredibly powerful. Yeah. No doubt what listening to something can do to change your life and society so thanks for
0: having me you're welcome respect yeah thanks you know. for doing this twice too <laughs>
1: <laughs> hey growth mindset yeah <laughs> progression
0: right hey thanks for listening to this episode of subtle disruptors I hope you got something out of it I'd love to hear your thoughts on the show including any suggestions you have for guests you can get me on email through adam at subtle I'm Adam Murray And I look forward to hearing about your own subtle disruption. Bye for now.